0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Developing Optimal Policies and Relationships to Deal with Insider Privacy Breaches, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by ProTennis. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name's Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we will take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring, discussion, featuring Greg Garneau, Chief Information Security Officer with the Marshfield Clinic Health System. Jesse Fasolo, Director, Technology, Infrastructure, and Cybersecurity information security officer with St. Joseph Health, and Nick Culbertson, co-founder and CEO with ProTennis, and then we will take your questions. Let's jump right in. It's going to be a fun discussion. Um, Greg, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Sure. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, My name is Greg Darnell. I'm the chief information security officer for Marshall Clinic Health System, we are one of the nation's largest rural health systems located in Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan. Um, we have um, hospitals, about uh, 12, 11, 11 hospitals, uh, 70 clinics or so. Uh, we have a medical research institute as well as a health insurance plan that are all part of our health system. So um, we've been in business for over a 100 years, started as a doctor-led clinic system and now we are a full hdo serving underserved and uh, population underserved populations um, providing world-class medical care so happy to be here today
0: thank you greg jesse uh
2: yes jesse Pasolo. Uh, i represent st joseph's health uh, it's a non-for-profit uh, healthcare uh, system in new jersey uh, we provide excellent care to the community, uh, special needs, and focus uh, or focus on underprivileged, underserved. Uh, our system is encompassing uh, two acute care facilities, a rehab center, and approximately 35 to 40 off-site clinics. Um, similarly to Greg, we're past the 100 years, we're celebrating this year, 155 years of service to the community. Um, I serve as the head of technology, infrastructure, cybersecurity, uh, as well as the information security officer. And the teams I oversee here uh, include the infrastructure team, telecommunications, AV media services, interface integration, development, web development, uh, cybersecurity, as well as clinical engineering.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, You're bringing a lot to the table, Jesse. Thank you. Nick?
3: Hey, everyone. Nick Culbertson, CEO for Tennis. Um, We use artificial intelligence to help automate compliance workflows. In specific today's conversation, we've developed a machine learning classifier that turns privacy investigations backwards by asking every possible question you could ask in a manual audit against every access, every record, every day. And then generates a suspicion score that allows privacy security specialists to zero in on questionable behaviors and start, with, uh, start at the finish line of an investigation with all the information at your fingertips. So really excited because about this conversation because it's one thing to detect a breach. It's another thing to uh, collaborate across the organization in order to resolve that and, and operationalize your policies with all the different constituents that it takes to maintain patient privacy holistically.
0: Excellent, Nick. Thank you. Okay. Let's jump right in. Um, Greg, we're going to start with you. Um, Sort of setting the table. Um, How would you define an insider or privacy breach? What are the different ways security leaders become aware of privacy breaches? And how might those different ways determine your next step? For example, if you're alerted by a tool versus uh, somebody goes to HR or, or you and reports what they think is some suspicious activity, one of their colleagues, they see them looking at things over their shoulder they shouldn't be looking at, things like that. Take us through that a little bit, please.
1: Yeah, sure. And, you know, there's there's a number of of, of different um, examples that we can give, and I'm sure everybody knows about the, you know, insider breach, privacy breach versus, um, you know, an actual act of a, a threat actor impacting your health system, right, from from outside. Um I think one of the first things as a cybersecurity leader you need to do is um, make sure prior to any kind of incident, you have spent the requisite time uh, partnering and collaborating with your privacy office, your compliance office, your legal team um, to understand what we need to do when an event happens, right? So the last thing you wanna do is start planning how you're going to respond to an event after it's already happened i think we all have have talked a lot about that as it relates to you know ransomware and resiliency you can't um, put your plans together after boom happens so um, how do we find out about privacy breaches there's a number of different ways we have tools in place that alert us to anomalous activity um, as it relates to access to the medical record we have audits and smart audits and smarter audits as we like to call them And those are certainly uh, things that go uh, to our group as well as the Privacy Office. Privacy Office spends a lot of time looking at that. Um, How do we determine next step? It depends on the nature of it, frankly. Nature of the the privacy breach. Um, If we're talking about um, insider theft, right? So loss of data, uh, then then you have to take that up significantly. Uh, to a, to a different level where you're going to also bring in law enforcement and possibly bring in uh, federal partners. Uh, but you have to you have to partner with your legal team and your privacy team um, in order to understand um, what our requirements are as well from a reporting perspective, too. Right. So we all know over 500 uh, records turns this thing into a, a completely different circus uh as opposed to uh, from a reporting to oci and others so uh, spending a lot of time determining the nature of uh the breach as it relates to privacy is important in understanding scope and that will determine how you will respond to it uh, in many in many instances um i think one of the things that we also look at you know high profile patients is another one that um We seem to see quite a bit of folks looking at the medical record for high profile patients, whatever, you know, whatever that may be in the various regions, right? Our high profile patients might be a little different than say folks in Hollywood hospitals, right? But they still have, you know, people looking at things that they're not supposed to. So we spend a lot of time working with the tools that we currently have to identify anomalous activity as it relates to access and also working with our partners within the health system. That's, that's it. That, I think, is the most important uh, because you can't be siloed. You all have to be playing out the same sheet of music uh, in order to respond to events like this.
0: Perfect, Greg. Thank you very much. Uh, Jesse, your thoughts?
2: Um, similar uh, to Greg's thoughts here, uh, just to expand a little bit. Um, you know, for for me, I consider privacy breach or whether it's insider breach. Uh, all wrapped into data breach, right? So um, they're looking at data that they're not supposed to or obtaining or exfiltrating data or accessing data. Um, Some of the areas uh, within there, uh, specifically to insider access, I I think of it like um, breaches involving individuals or entities um, gaining access to a system or data. Uh, And that, that could really be any internal employee. It could be contractors, it could be consultants, it could be third party. Um, It's really a a very wide um, span of of, uh, entry points uh, to to gain access to those environments and that data. Um, Also, uh, to be considered, there's sensitivity of data, different classifications of data um, and violations, whether whether it's uh, a failure in the security measures. Um, uh, You you mentioned here uh, organization or operational leaders or uh, operations or uh, tools as well. Um, I think Greg, you, you alluded to some of those tools and there is technical tools, right? There's, uh, IDS systems, there's SIM tools, there's DLP, there's reporting right out of the EMR and EHR and, and, and as far as what you know, as based on traffic or or even human uh, behavior, or entity behavior, uh, reporting and tools. Uh, and then on the operational side, there's uh, direct reports from staff. There's notifications from outside parties for breach or compromise or um, or even regulatory reporting if uh, regulatory bodies come towards you, uh, identifying that you've uh, you've had privacy issues or privacy breaches. And one other tool that's probably not used very often uh, should be used is really dark web reporting, dark, dark web scanning for privacy issues that you've uh, you've you've have in your environment, um, finding them before uh, that something is done with that data. So as far as uh, responding to the second part of that um, different different ways that those are the tools I would I would say that alert me or uh, the operations that would advise me. Um, you know, but there is many ways, and and I think that's one of the conversations here we'll we'll get through uh, in this hour is just how do we how do we develop those and how do we use them collaboratively across all the departments. I know Greg mentioned compliance um, and, and information security, but it goes wider, right? HR gets involved, compliance, legal, risk, um, information security, outside consultants, forensics. It depends on how severe the breach is. Uh, and if it's just snooping of records, right, that might, might be something internal that affects multiple policies in the organization. It might also include, uh, a termination of the employee or, uh, disciplinary of the employee, which HR is the, you know, the, the point person leading that with, uh, compliance as well as information security or, uh, IT providing the, the necessary data to that investigation. But, um, and then it could be completely the other way where, where Greg mentioned bringing in authorities, contacting your insurance provider, your cybersecurity liability insurance provider, bringing in, you know, uh, a full investigation based on how large that breach is. So it's really a full spectrum thing. It could start from one record, one individual, one VIP being snooped to uh, data being exfiltrated to your organization or a third party being breached, which we see very commonly in the environment.
0: Excellent, Jesse. Thank you. Lots there. Uh Nick, your thoughts.
3: Well, Jesse and Greg are living this uh experience every day. So their insights are 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 much more um uh direct than mine. But the only thing I would add is taking a step back, the the perspective of an insider breach or a privacy breach in healthcare is very different than other industries. Uh, In my previous life, I worked in military intelligence and you had to justify why you needed access to data. You were only assigned access based on the project you were on or the privileges or the security clearance you had. When um, I left the military, I joined, I went to med school, which is how I got involved in in projects around um, hospital security and and patient record uh, privacy. And it's very different. As a med student, I could access medical records as part of a research project. I could be shadowing a doctor. I could be going from one clinic to another. And to understand whether I should be accessing a record or not, you can't implement a simple role-based access control or rule set of rules. And so unlike other industries, it increases their requirement to audit after the fact because data is so unfettered and open and accessed. But it requires a lot more collaboration across parties to understand should this person be in the record or perhaps their credentials been compromised or is there an actual security incident imposed you it, it's just a much bigger challenge than i think you know we live like again we if you're living this every day it's like it's part of our job but um i think it's just really important to call out that the nuances of healthcare make this work much more complicated much more difficult than other industries
0: Uh, Nick, quick follow-up. I interviewed uh, a clinician who's who's also involved in security, um, Dr. Eric Liederman, uh, and he talked a lot about the problem of false positives, um, that that's a big problem in security. If you're getting too many false positives from any system you're using, you're going to burn out the individuals that you're asking to go chase after those, and it's going to really damage your security program because um, they're just going to sort of check out mentally. Um, I think you alluded to that when you talked a little bit about what pro tennis does at the beginning, you're trying to help reduce that number, but tell me your thoughts around false positives around security tools and why that happens and the damage that can cause to a program.
3: Our, our product is best in class because we've been able to minimize the, uh, the aspect of false positives. The reason false positives are so del- deleterious is Again, there's so many different responsibilities that um, privacy security officers have. And so if you're chasing something that's not actually a threat, that's time wasted. The other aspect is that you're interrupting clinical operations. And if you're talking to a physician that has complete justification on why they're accessing data and you're investigating them, that's interrupting their workflow and they're having to justify their behavior, which is taking away time from patient care. So false positives is a really big problem, but because access is so unfettered, they're so, it's so difficult to be able to identify whether uh, a case is appropriate or not, so whether access is appropriate or not. And so that's why we optimized our AI to consider so many different factors and we optimized it for specificity rather than sensitivity, which means it, it's more likely to uh, that a, an incidence is detected to likely to be an actual violation um, and then the other important element is being able to give an investigator the reasons why it's questionable. You can't just go out to a clinician or um, anyone accessing data and say, hey, explain to me why you're in the case. You have to be able to say, we think it's questionable that you were in this case because of these reasons. And this is the information we're bringing to you and why we're investigating this so that you can have that productive conversation. Um The last thing I'll comment on this is that when we first started development of our AI, we ran it in real time and because we knew how important security officials want to reach out when an incident does happen. And what we found was that when you ran the analytics in real time, absolute real time, the false positive rate went up. And the reason for that is because, using myself as an example, if I'm a medical student and I open up a record, it could look really suspicious that second. But five minutes later, an order might come through or my attending might go into the record or something else might happen. An encounter might be created, a prescription might be filed, that then justifies my behavior. And so we did studies to figure out what is the optimal window to analyze data to decrease those false positives. And I wanted to share that that the optimal was about eight hours, which makes sense because that's a clinical shift um, typically. And if you're analyzing data from a external security threat, real time makes a lot more sense. But for insider detection, you need to consider a uh, a wealth of clinical information that could catch up after the fact to really determine if something is uh, questionable or not.
0: That is extremely interesting. Very good stuff, Nick. Thank you. Okay, next question, Jesse, we're going to start with you. Um, How do you determine if the privacy breach is accidental and I guess you could just accidentally click on something Uh, or intentional. And then you have that breaks down again. Um, Intentional can break down between snooping. They're looking at that celebrity record with no greater plan to do any sort of harm versus someone who's um, working with an outside partner, who's then going to receive those records and sell them. Um, So as I think Greg alluded to, everyone's alluding to, there's a lot of different flavors here. It's a very dynamic situation, I guess you want to determine what's going on, and then it's like a tree that could branch in any number of ways based on what you're finding right I mean, I would imagine there's many, many variations of levels of harm and maliciousness, and that will affect your response. But tell me your thoughts, Jesse. It's
2: a lot to unpack um let me see how I could do this um so yes, well to tie off of what Nick just mentioned, right? So there are a lot of the um, trigger events that occur when doctors, phys- physicians, clinicians access patient records. Um, there's rules that can be created in the EHR that would alert, prevent, or detect some of those trigger points, right? Uh, multiple records within minutes. Uh, different floors of the hospital being accessed by certain physicians or, or nurses uh, based on role, right? And, uh, most organizations are role-based um, access based to the EMR. What they can do, what what they see within the EMR. Um, so once they start seeing things that they shouldn't, or trying to access things that they shouldn't, or getting denies, those are all trigger events. I think the what we're talking here also is. Uh, the discernment, whether it was intentional or malicious. And that's where everyone that is, is approaching this needs to put a detective's hat on and go through their standard operating procedures to say, okay, here's the alert, here's the alarm. Um, what What is this? Is this a false positive, like you mentioned? And is that going to lead down the path of wasted time, by analysts looking at alerts, looking at alarms, to find that it was just a doctor that did not know the patient's name and started clicking random names. Um, it, or, or it could just be um It could be a mistake, right? It could be a doctor leaving his access open and someone clicking and start looking at other patients and documenting by accident, right? There's use cases for that where you would have to determine if that's a true positive or false positive. But a lot of detective work has to happen. A lot of time needs to be spent um, to determine if it's intentional or malicious. Odds are the malicious ones. um, Like I mentioned, you should have trigger events. You should have report events and alarms set in your EMR to identify multiple access, to track and monitor different um, access level variations of access levels within the EMR. That's native, right? Right out of the box, those should be set up. The standard operating procedures all need to be defined so your analyst isn't wasting time, right? It's very quick if you have a procedure to go in and check to see if this is true positive or false positive on occurrence over and over. And then you take those As you get those false positives over and over and over and over, you either have to do education remediation on the clinician end, because maybe they're doing something wrong, or um, maybe you have to change the access and restrict the access because they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Um, So I would start there. Those are the areas that I would probably focus in on. Um, Celebrity snooping, um, just because it's, it's top of mind here. Uh, I live in the tri-state area. There are celebrities and VIPs that come through our environment. Um, They have to be flagged. They have to be named. They have to be. um, But again, it goes back to enforcing policies and restrictions on the clinician side, on the nursing side, to not share information of who's on the floor, to to ensure that that's not being shared uh, information, because that will lead to others within the facility organization start snooping, too. Um, So in bolstering those policies will help too. Education to education of the clinicians, nurses will help too. But ultimately, um, it comes down to that detective, um, you know, in, in classifying records and classifying access and uh, putting in the necessary controls day one. So you don't have to lead. And then, like I mentioned, third is just as you get those false positives or you get those those alerts. Uh, so they don't cause alert fatigue to revisit them and determine what controls you could put into place so they don't come all the time or or you
1: could prevent them from happening
0: perfect greg your thoughts
1: yeah that's that's really good information i think one of the things that that we struggle with is you know when you you're looking to see if a, a clinician or someone else in the record is doing something because they are trying to do something nefarious or they just don't know i think education is a huge part of what we're dealing with here right so it by and large, when we, when we're looking at these events, um, you're looking at more of hey, we've just got an educational issue on our hands. Um, but again, that has to go into your playbook with the teams who are analyzing this information, and it's looking at what's coming in. Then you're working with your you know your privacy and compliance team to um, work with that uh, provider to make sure that what they're doing doesn't rise to the level of malicious activity, it just could simply be um, an educational issue. And we see a lot of that um, as we've transitioned just recently to a new EHR. So you'd be amazed at all the crazy things that have happened over the last year and a half that could raise the you know, suspicions of folks on our team as you're look- looking at those triggering events and just come to find out that it's, it was more just an educational issue. Uh the snooping stuff you know Jesse's point is very valid if you do not have strict if you're not following your policies strictly, then it leads to people thinking that it's okay um so you have to enforce those policies uh fairly rigorously uh to ensure that um people are looking at what's appropriate for their job right minimum necessary looking at what you need just to do your job, not going in to see you know the latest. Uh, interesting factoid about a famous person in your area. Um, the last bullet point I think we want to talk, I, I want to just touch on quickly is um, when do you involve law enforcement? And I think oftentimes that's that's a discussion that people are a bit reticent to do. But knowing that um, the sooner you can get some of this in the hands of your um, Law enforcement partners, and it's typically going to be on the federal side, most likely the local law enforcement don't have the assets or resources um, but what I would say, and what has worked out well is uh, getting to know the folks in your local FBI field office, know who that person is to call when you have an event to get them engaged. obviously you're going to you know engage others with that, but um having that relationship with uh, those folks seems to be um Seems to be a very important thing for everyone, and it has been for us. Uh, we have we have a, a somewhat unique situation here. Thinking um, in Central Wisconsin, people don't realize the medical research that we're doing here, but it's it's amazing data and it's amazing research that's being done that is valuable to lots of different folks um, outside of our organization, especially uh, you know the bad guys. So um, we've built a, a relationship with the the folks at the FBI. Um, because of the nature of the data that we house, um, so that's that's another important thing to do. Um, and then, obviously, working with your your internal teams, legal, privacy compliance, um, about what we do when an event becomes something more of a criminal investigation.
2: Yeah, just to hey, add to that, go I, ahead, ahead Justin. I, I didn't touch on that question uh, enough. I think I don't think just to add to Greg's comments. I think what when a privacy breach would become a crime. It, it all relies on uh, the malicious intent. It re- relies on the impact, the amount of impact, the, the multiple victims that are involved, uh, any legal requirement or regulatory requirement that's be- not being met, um, lack of cooperation, right? Sometimes when you're doing investigations, if there's no cooperation, it's immediate that you need to escalate. Um, and, and of public interest, right? You, you obviously don't want your, your breach to become public without um, contacting the authorities? And, and just to wrap the rest of that question up was, how is it pursued? It's really your report structure, right? Your breach notification policies and procedures. Um, it's your going through your initial assessment, like Greg mentioned, um, the teams collaborating, launching that investigation, going through the evidence collection, going through um, identifying a suspect if it is malicious. And then at that point, you're contacting the legal authorities um, to to escalate that outside of just information security or compliance, or or uh, it, it becomes another entity, larger, much more uh, criminal investigation at that point. So just to add to that,
0: um, Greg, you want to be pretty sure, right, before you go to a physician and <laughs> start questioning them about access and things like that. Um, I would imagine it's it's not that you only get one shot, but if you do. Uh, sort of approach them with some sort of inquiry, and it turns out there was nothing. It was a nothing burger, as they say. Um, you you know kind of colors things going forward about approaching them again. So um, yeah. it, that's a that's a debate that comes up. And I'm uh, just as a secondary question: How often is it sort of on the fence where you're looking at something, you're like, you know, what we're not sure if if there's something going on here or not, or is it usually pretty clear once you take a look?
1: Well, to the to the first comment, going to a physician with with wrong information, uh, you're not going to endear yourself to them uh, <laughs> anytime soon. Um, and frankly, you know, these guys are so uh, busy and so focused on patient uh, serving the patients. Um, if we're going to come to them with uh, information or questions about behavior and activity that we're seeing from them. We better be darn sure that that we've got our ducks in a row uh so and and I see Jesse' shaking his head I'm, I'm, we've all been there we've all had these discussions, but it's vital for you to you know you need to do your analysis you need to do your investigations but uh if there's a question if it's on the fence right, which happens a lot because sometimes, as I said, this behavior uh is is just it it triggers events and triggers investigations, but it's it's not malicious. And ultimately, it's proven not to be um, something that's out of the norm. Um, that's where you're going to have to rely on on your you know, other colleagues to help you work through that. There are times when it's clear cut. Yeah, there's no way this should have been done. And then you can go and have those discussions. But you're also not um, you're not going into these discussions um, as. Um, you know you're not going in hard as they say you're just going to have a discussion about um you know how can we help you um understand what needs to be done what's appropriate what's not appropriate we saw a miss what was the reason for it when done, look what you did you're in trouble right wagging the finger that's that's just no way to do business so i think um it's ensuring that your data is good that you've 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 done your investigation appropriately um and if there is anything that is in question um bring other colleagues in to help you discern whether or not this is something you should go talk to the physicians about or any of the providers anybody who, who is in question
0: Jesse you want to comment on that and and I have a a, a further question yeah. for you um have yeah, you can... have you ever received significant sort of pushback in one of these discussions where it's like how a, a, a how dare you approach. And then um, how do you deal with that?
2: I, I think to Greg's point, I, I think it's a sensitive conversation, not just with clinicians, but with anyone, right? Um, you, you need to do your your initial assessment and investigation. And that sometimes requires um, referring to your policies and procedures and where if you identify something that seems to be malicious, typically organizations will admin suspend that individual under investigation, work with HR, pull the pull all the records and information that have been gathered, you know, to this point based on the triggered events and go through it in a collaborative discussion, not, um, in the uh, authoritative, uh, you know, you did this and tell me why and, and interrogate and start swinging the light in the room. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 that, that doesn't happen. Um, it, it is more of a, a, let me understand how this is occurring. And I think, you know, from a security professional perspective, I think you want to determine if that malicious access is that specific individual or not, right? It could be a, a credential that's compromised, and in that case, you're you're validating that clinician or, or administrator or, or uh, employee themselves. Excuse me, a second is not um, is, is not at fault, and it's actually someone else using those credentials. And and is malicious. And then you have to go through the legal process there and investigative process there. So it could be one or the other. But I think from my perspective, I would want to have the delicate conversation to say, hey, you know, I see this happening. Explain it to me. Um, It's triggering some events, some alerts. Um, If there's a valid reason for it, there's a valid reason. Maybe it's education. Um, Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe it's, uh, oh, I was doing this as a test. and then that's where you have the conversation of you're violating this policy and this regulation and and so on and so forth. And hopefully that doesn't happen again. But I'm looking for the malicious intent. I'm looking for the individual that acts actually is doing something bad. Right. And that's why we have triggered alerts for multiple patient access. Once you start accessing multiple patients in an environment and you clock up to 500, it's an immediate breach um, easily. Right. And, and that's based on one credential.
0: Uh, Nick, I I, have a, I don't even know if this would be something you could weigh in on, but wanna, you could either – I'm going to bring this up, and then you could either weigh in on it or whatever you were thinking before I mentioned this. Um, we talk about policy procedures, right? Everybody wants to have their policy procedures straight for him. One of the things that came to my mind as we talk about some of the ways these things could play out is if and when you approach the individual, because there are going to be investigations where – you would want to contact law enforcement and not have this sort of meeting that we've been alluding to about hey, wondering why you did this, because it's just not appropriate. You don't you don't want to be having that, it should be the FBI talking to that person. So I don't know, your thoughts there.
3: Uh I have a couple thoughts. So first, just going back to the previous conversation, the the nuance between the binary is this inappropriate or is not, is not just um you know what are the information proves it is not or not but it also has to do with like state regulations and your exact policies in some states you're allowed to look at your child's record if they're less than 13 in other states that's not true some hospital systems have a policy you can look at your own record some don't let that uh, uh that occur so there's a lot of nuance there and this results in situations where it could be pretty binary and clear that the access is inappropriate. But because it's a little complex, the individual who's doing the access may not really understand that. Even though they've taken their annual training or new employee training, um, they may be accessing a family member's medical record and just trying to help. And they say, "Oh, I've got verbal permission. I everything's okay." And you might wonder why I go after that investigation. It seems very benign or, or low risk. But I can't tell you how many times and that turns into a situation where the individual says, "No, I didn't give permission. It's not a not permissible." Oh. It does turn into be a big incident like a teenage daughter who had an abortion or some sort of really sensitive type of situation that could that could really blow up and so to your point anthony about the policies and procedures and making that clear and crisp as possible it's very difficult to um explain all those nuances especially to a new employee the first day and say like hey here's all the circumstances you can and can't and blah 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 you can do a really good job but there's no proof method of preventing incidents to happen and so one of the i'd say the two things that we help on this front one are those low risk incidents we can help provide on the spot personalized education like hey anthony did you know like what you did is you know it's not a privacy violation but it's a policy violation please don't do it again we're going to be monitoring for this here's your here's your warning and we found a technique like that kind of like phishing training is very effective at helping people understand um that, okay, oh, what I just did is not something I should be doing. It's really good at reinforcing that. The other thing that we do with our um, our customers is we bring in, um, we've done training and continuing education credit programs where we brought law enforcement in who are really specialized at doing those interviews, those investigations. From an HR perspective, when you have someone that you know has violated privacy and maybe they don't agree with you, but you know they have, the best thing you can do is get an admission um, from a uh compliance perspective. And so when you do that interview, you don't want to go in and say, like, hey, why'd you do this? Because they're going to get defensive and kind of back into it. So thinking about how you do that interview and having all the information, at the fingertips, to kind of walk them into a corner where saying, you know, knowing exactly they're going to say, Oh, I walked away from my computer at that time. Someone else accessed it. But being able to come back and say, Well, no, you didn't, because we've done the research, we look at the data and we know that you were looking at a patient that you were treating two seconds before, and in two seconds, you can't get away from the workstation with this ID. Having it be able to, to uh, approach an investigation that way really ensures that you get a clean resolution to the case and you, you mitigate the risk as much as possible, as opposed to then saying, okay, well, that's a good point. Now I got to go back and do more research and figure out if they're saying is true. Uh, and it, it undermines your own investigation if you don't have all that information at your fingertips.
0: So, Greg, Greg, is, yes. is this something these these interviews that Nick's alluding to that that sound like they require some skill and nuance and knowledge, semi close to what a law enforcement professional might do? Is that something that CISOs and security professionals wind up actually conducting themselves?
1: Well, not alone, but yes, we've been involved in them before, and and we do. I I, I tend to watch lots of episodes of Law and Order before I go into <laughs> one of those meetings. Um, just kidding. So I I think it's a it's it's really important to follow up with what Nick said right. You go into these meetings already knowing the answers, right? It's it's when you ask your kids, did you take the uh, the candy? And, you know, you found the wrapper in their bedroom. So, you know, that you know, it's there. But you want to have that information or as much of that information at your fingertips to to help lead that discussion. And there are times when, you know, you're in there with your HR folks and, and you know, privacy legal, uh, where you just basically want to get a statement, whether or not that statement um, elicits the truth or is contradictory to what you know is the truth then you can then take that you have that information then if you have to bring in law enforcement later you already have that information in terms of a statement um, but yes we've i've been involved in in a, a handful of those um over the last seven and a half years as as of me being a cso um so yeah it is something that um it, it's it, it's a skill that is not uh it's a learned skill or it you definitely just can't go into one of those things um, uh, without having a lot of information at your fingertips and just winging it, winging, it doesn't work.
0: Jesse, this is completely fascinating to me. You know, you guys aren't just banging away on keyboards uh, all day long. This uh, can get quite, the the job can get quite interesting. So have you any thoughts about this, Jesse? I mean, one Um. of the things, one of the questions that comes to mind is, um, you know, or scenarios is, and I don't know if this happens, reaching out to law enforcement, running the situation by them, and then they may either say, OK, this is not for us yet. This doesn't sound I'm not coming. Right. Based on what you've told me, this is something for you to handle versus no, this is definitely something I'm coming over there for. Right. I mean, yeah, well, I think that
2: goes back to the other question about when when is it malicious? Where is there criminal um, when, when does it become a criminal activity? Um, you know, accessing one or two patient records is not a criminal activity. You don't need the authorities to come in and, and you know, investigate. Um, hopefully you have systems and, and tools in place that uh, can provide that data. But to what Greg was mentioning, um, you know, approaching a conversation with the appropriate data uh you know for the example he made with a physician walking away you would already internalize talk to physical security obtain camera footage see the physician still not walking away still at the at the computer with the same timestamp and you would be charged with that information when you get to the meeting to ask what happened. And then when they said, hey, I walked away, it wasn't me, you say, well, here's proof to prove that out. Now you're you've also violated ethical policies within the organization. And that's again, it's not a conversation I'm having alone. I'm having that conversation in parallel with compliance because they've violated our HIPAA policies, right? They're our privacy policy. They've violated other HR policies. So HR would be in there as well. Um and the discussion would be open and transparent to find out what happened, right? What occurred? Again, there's a there's a fine line between the criminal activity, malicious, very criminal activity, and accidental access internalized. Um, you know, I think the from a CISO perspective, I'm trying to help prevent the criminal malicious activity. Uh, it's almost inherent uh, to what Nick had mentioned, the way healthcare is, where clinicians have access to a wealth. Of information in the EMR and the EHR uh, and many systems across the enterprise where it's almost trust but verify and that's that conversation where you really need to verify validate based on the data based on the alerts based on the triggered events is this true false or true positive positive? Um, and, and that's what leads those conversations all
0: right very good we have a couple of audience questions I want to get in front of the panel Um, first one is what type of sanctions do you apply to unauthorized access to the EHR? Do you have zero tolerance or does it depend on the circumstances? Jesse, you want to take that first?
2: Um, starting from the back, I would say zero tolerance is a, is, is that's the dream, right? Zero, zero, uh, tolerance to anything, but, um, there are circumstances, there is events that, that, while they violate policy, they were accidental, um, and and those are the the circumstances that have to have discussions and further education and further um, compliance checks and auditing uh, that occurs. Um, so so while zero, you know, uh, least privileged uh, least access would be best, right? So this doctor only is seeing this patient. He can't see any other patient in the EMR. He can only see that one patient. Um, you know to get to that stance would be uh, most, most difficult in any organization so it is open to a larger amount of access um and then sanctions um sanctions as far as policies and procedures um are are in place uh, the sanctions dictated by regulatory bodies are in place um they they need to be followed right there's a human aspect to it where um, you either you either allow and trust and, and hope that they don't violate policies on behalf of the organization, or you need the detec- detective controls or preventative controls in, in place to determine, identify, and then track down and investigate. Um, so, so yeah, I, w- I would say as far as sanctions, um, you you would say you would need to establish those policies in the system, the alerts, the triggers, all day one. Um, those would be your sanctions and your controls, uh, your baseline. And then it's a continuous improvement initiative, right? And it's a conversation amongst those uh, interdisciplines, um, compliance, risk, legal, um, all discussing, hey, we've had these events, that we've had these false positives, we've had this true positive. How do we better the system to prevent it in the future um, and, and maybe put more sanctions in place?
0: All right, very good. Um just a comment, Greg. I'll run by you, see if you had any thoughts. Many times you may not know this access had malicious intent until you discover a disclosure occurred. Mm-hmm. So you know, what are your thoughts on that concept?
1: Um, it happens a lot, right? Just think about um some of the, the most recent um issues with with data going out the door, you know. I Jesse mentioned it earlier. You have a solution that scans the dark web and then all of a sudden one day you find a treasure trove of your own data sitting out there. Right. And then you're having to back end into, uh, you know, forensic analysis, getting law enforcement and others into it. That's obviously the worst case scenario, but it's it's certainly something that happens all the time. Right. It happens where, you know, data Not every organization manages data, especially protected regulated data or sensitive business data the same. Um, some places have fairly decent controls. They have tools and event triggering events that will help identify that anomalous or malicious activity, but you're not always going to be able to stop it. So once something like that happens, then it's, you know, bringing in a whole host of resources to help you manage that. Uh, and depending upon the size of of the breach, and most of these things that are going to pop up are not going to be the the hey, we can handle this internally size breaches, right these are the the big ones that you're gonna have to bring in your insurance carrier, bring in the forensic teams, you know, parachute in all the quick reaction force folks to help you manage through that. so um, yeah, then it then it becomes a bit of a prairie fire, but you know hopefully you've built in um additional policies, techniques, procedures for resiliency efforts like that. I mean, that's an entirely different discussion, but those are some of the things that come to mind when we when we start talking about breaches that we didn't know about occurring and then we're informed.
3: Nick, I'll bring you in here. Any thoughts on what you're hearing? Yeah, if I could just add on to what Greg was saying, I want to share an anecdote where a customer was telling us about how they identified a questionable access that reached out to the individual And the individual said, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you could detect that I took a screenshot with my phone. And what was so interesting is that they didn't know there was a disclosure. They knew that the access to the record was questionable. And they didn't know that what they did with that access. But what they did was took a picture with their phone and was sending it to a friend. And the employee got concerned that they were like, how did you have access to my phone and see that? They didn't but because they came to them with the information about this is questionable why did you do this to my point earlier it backed them into a corner and they were like oh yeah i did it i took a picture and i sent it to a friend and here's the evidence so it, it you you don't you can't always monitor disclosures like that's impossible we don't have access to someone taking a picture with their phone on a third uh, party device and like doing whatever like tiktok and facebook and all the scary stuff that can happen but you can monitor the access, and that's that's the really important part to be able to determine, was the access appropriate, and then figure out, is there a disclosure?
0: All right, very good. Next audience question. Um, I've had my job for just over a year, and I am my agency's privacy officer. I've had to investigate a few incidents where it was unauthorized access due to curiosity, I handled the investigation and a few staff members were let go due to my investigation. Since I do this alone, my question is, should I be involving HR or our agency's compliance officer? We have over 600 employees and are spread out over half our state, but privacy incidents go through me. I'm guessing the answer is yes, but um, <laughs> Greg, let's start with you.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. Um you need to be involving. I think all all of us have said, you know, you are not doing this one alone for a whole host of reasons, right? Not the least of which is legal, legal ramifications. Um, you need to bring in your HR team. You need to bring in your legal team uh, to help you. They may not be necessarily sitting in the room when you're talking to them, but they need to be aligned with you and the, the systems policies and ensure that everything is done by the book, especially if you're going to be terminating folks, right? So you you need to have everybody involved in that.
0: Jesse, I'm just gonna you're gonna echo
2: that. Uh, I'll echo it. I'll add to it as well. I think um, you know, so there's a segmentation of responsibilities and duties in any organization where, um, I, I I'm sorry, you had to go through that, and and you know, it's it's terrible because you're the one providing the data that ultimately loses that individual, their job. Um, And, and it's sometimes it's cut or dry, right? It's, it's um, including HR, HR understands the policies of termination and um, all the policies that they hold within the organization. So there may be instances where progressive disciplinary actions come into play versus this person completely violated uh, uh, our, you know, uh, privacy. Um, And as far as Involving the uh, compliance officer, most organizations compliance oversees the regulatory uh, uh, privacy of HIPAA. So they would own the policies for privacy breach and HR would represent the termination and the employee um, employee, uh, rules and laws where the information security privacy officer would be also at the table providing insight to them. Um, so I would think it would be a multiple uh, discussion and then multiple decision and agreement amongst those three parties minimally. And then, like Greg mentioned, it's a legal problem. Right. Wrongful termination suits are, are something that do occur. And if it was done by mistake or by accident and say, like Nick mentioned, that he he uh, does provide enough data to do the investigation from the back uh, to the front, where where you have all that data up front, but if it becomes a legal battle, where now you, the the filing suit against the organization, now you have to go back in time, and most of these happen years later, you have to go back in time to find all that detective information and put your case together to to then prevent, you know, uh, the organization as well as yourself, because you've made the determined factor yourself without really involving those other areas within the organization. So I would day one involve and, and build those relationships, uh, I would establish those relationships right now um, across those teams and have a cadence and go over the findings together and come up with practices that will happen and occur. And, you know, what what is determined to be progressive discipline? What is determined to be a straight administrative suspension and, and termination of that employee? What is a criminal event? or where the authorities were brought in immediately. Um, you, those all need to be defined and classified up front. And then, uh, of course, bring in HR, bring in legal, bring in compliance.
0: And Nick, it sounds like so much of what we're hearing here about being successful is dependent on these executive relationships with these different departments. Um, you deal with a lot of customers. Is that what you're seeing among your customers that are the most successful, the most confident, and the most comfortable that they have these these relationships?
3: Yeah, and and every organization ultimately these relationships are forged. There's two ways you forge those relationships when you're dealing with a disaster and you're having to figure it out together and like un you know unravel a big tangle of a mess and you're in the trenches together or you figure out in advance by thinking about your policies and procedures and how you're going to collaborate to, together and and I I think it's obvious this the latter approach is always much more ideal to meet with a counterpart and discuss, hey, we don't have anything going on right now. But you know, these are our procedures, these are our policies like in these events, it's how we're connected, it's how we work together, like what's your threshold, how do you operate, blah, blah, blah. Um, we even think about our customers think about workflows of it, instead of waiting for that bad thing to happen, it's like write write a policy that says, if this bad thing happens, we will do this, this, and this have everyone come around and understand that. And then it's just, Hey, we're, we're operating on this procedure. Here we go. Mm -hmm. And you can act so much faster and more efficient. I know it sounds idyllic, but it is possible if you can be proactive and establish those relationships in advance.
0: I just want to get one last quick audience question and then let you guys go. Um, What basic EHR audits should organizations be conducting and what is the recommended frequency? Uh, Greg.
1: So I, I, we we audit most everything all the time, right? And, and in terms of the high profile uh, smart audits and, and other types of audits, um, I know our privacy team has analysts devoted to it as well in terms of looking at it constantly. Um, I think um, ensuring that, you know, you have weekly meetings to talk about some of the, the interesting things that you've been seeing are, have also been very important for us. Um, at a minimum, uh, it raises alerts if there are things that we need to start investigating further. If it hasn't been triggered within our tools,
0: Jesse, any thoughts on that EHR audits? Um, uh,
2: yeah, I, I think in a in a perfect world, it would be ongoing, persistent uh, investigations of all access, uh, all times. Um, that's the the that's the pretty picture. I think. Um, A common picture that you see is there's not enough staff in compliance or privacy or risk to do the investigations at the influx of access. So you really need to start limiting access or doing educations or preventing that. But those conversations, like Greg mentioned, um, to to kind of go through what you're seeing, um, you'd be surprised if you put on um, or if you, you did audits in the system every single day, you are going to find things. And I think that goes back to if you look hard enough, you're gonna find something. Um, and and having a tool or having a system that would automate those, creating those alerts, the, the automatic alerts. So the VIP one is the most simple and basic one. Any VIP access, right? Um, you get alert, you get a monitor, and then you go through it, right? And that's that's an easy breach of protocol. Um, it's not necessarily a privacy breach if they're a clinician or if they're on the floor or if, um, or if they're not by uh, affecting your stooping policies or your internal policies, but if you do have them and they're violating those policies that's a conversation education hopefully but um yeah I've seen it both ways i've seen where organizations limit uh their audits to to you know a weekly thing where they just don't have the time or opportunity and then they focus on the top ten right the the ones that are closer to being malicious because they they just have the staff to focus on that um or or they don't. Um, so I would say in a perfect world, it would be continuous. In a, in a normal world, uh, dealing with the constraints of employee staff, uh, staffing issues, it would be you would be looking at the most severe top down, um, then uh, uh, approaching the ones that are not, um, you know, more of an education in bulk. Right. You can collect the ones that are more education. This person really just scanning different different uh, uh, records and they shouldn't be collect them, have a discussion with all of them, um, you know, on a monthly schedule. But the ones that are violating policy, um, capturing information or doing something malicious, those are immediates and you kind of. Kind of have to continuously look at them, like Greg said, and and just monitor and have discussions with those teams on them. It's really good to bring those reports to those meetings with compliance, risk and legal and say, here is what we're seeing. Here's the trend. Right. Here's what the employees are trending and then visit that often. Right. And see the trends hopefully come down.
0: Excellent, Nick. I'll give you time for a quick final thought. Um, What Jesse was saying about the investigations and the bandwidth just brings me back to the false positive discussion. The fewer um, false positives you have, the more you can use those limited resources
3: wisely. But your final thought, Nick? Yeah, both Greg and Jesse are 100% right that it's a resource opportunity constraint problem that like you want to investigate everything and look at everything. But If you don't have time, you want to only look at the most serious and most severe to mitigate risk as much as possible. The problem with that trade-off is what we found in our research is the most severe incidents. If you look at that individual's behavior retrospectively, they did a bunch of benign stuff before that and their behavior builds up. It's pretty rare that someone comes in and just does a big explosive violation from the get-go. They test the system Mm. and get worse over time. And so it's a it's a contradiction because you want to focus on the worst stuff and prioritize your time, but it the benign stuff that's like the high volume of low-risk incidents is where you can really prevent the incidents from happening in the first place. And I know it's idyllic. And and of course, I'm a vendor, so I have to push our product, but our solution uses AI to audit every access to every record every day. And so you get the balance of both worlds where you can automate the heavy lifting of uh, of looking at every axis and have that proactive monitoring that 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 greg and jesse were referring to and then focus on the ones that you know are going to prevent incidents or or have the higher risk later so you can have that trade-off of monitoring everything but balancing your resource loads through the help of ai and i know we talk about ai and healthcare a lot i think it over promises and over over delivers generally but privacy and compliance is an area where we have really well-structured data and audit logs and very clear policies. And so it is is—it is a unique aspect where you can get highly trained machine learning classifiers to be very predictive and very helpful uh, in these complicated investigations.
0: Excellent, excellent discussion, folks. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck you'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Greg Garneau, Jesse Fasolo, and Nick Culbertson. I want to thank pro tennis for sponsoring and making the event possible and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. folks. <laughs>